1: Hey, everybody, I am here with Ed, aka Space Invader 1. Thank you very much for joining us today.
0: Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, Bob.
1: Well, I wanted you on here to talk about the work that you've been doing teaching people how to use something called Unraid. And I also wanted to learn more about you and your background and how you got into all of this stuff because I've learned quite a bit from your videos, uh, and so have quite a few other people as well. So um, if you wouldn't mind, maybe could you give us a little bit of uh, an overview of what Unraid is and what your channel's about? And then we'll kind of dig in deeper into both of those.
0: Well, Unraid is um, a home server operating system based off Linux. Um, It's used for file storage, um, running Docker containers, and VMs. Um, I got involved in Unraid probably about seven or eight years ago, back in 2012, 2013. I was looking for a NAS to set up. Um, I'd had like a Buffalo link station and had bad experiences with that, so I thought I was going to build my own. I built my own Unraid server, and as many people who do, they build one thinking, I just want storage, and then they find out all the other things it can do, and they keep upgrading and upgrading and upgrading.
1: Very cool. And you do instructional videos from 10 minute little clips of how to do one thing to very deep dives on how to set things up, walk people through step by step and, uh, I mean, your videos cover pretty much everything that you would need to know. The only thing that the watcher would have to do is search through your channel and figure out what they need for today. So if you're getting started, obviously Mm. watch the longer videos. If you've already dug deep and you just need the answer, try to look for the shorter ones. Uh, But it's been a really excellent resource. And you come highly recommended by a very picky friend of mine. So that's how I knew for sure your channel (laughs) was worth watching, because they would not have recommended you if it wasn't... (laughs) So, um, by the way, I'm just going to say, it's it's definitely weird hearing your voice, because I don't think you're ever in your videos, and I've watched so no. many of them, and people say <laughs> that to me, like, when I do the interview, it's weird talking with me, because they, they watch the weekly podcast, and now I know how they feel, because uh, I'm just, I'm so used to listening to you tell me what to do, and now we're here having a chat. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I'm always undercover in my video, you know, so this is about the first time I think I've been on screen, other than one other time. Oh, really?
1: <laughs> It's funny. Quite a few people have said that this was the first time they've been on camera, and one they said it was even their first time doing audio publicly. So I'm always very honored that uh, that people put their trust in me. That I'm not going to set them up to make them look stupid. Because I think anybody that watches the channel knows that if anybody's going to look dumb, it's me. So you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> but um, uh. so on raid for us, and by us I mean general nerds or people in the retro gaming community. Uh, I think. That uh, there's a few things about it that are very attractive to me. The first thing is that you don't need to have matching hard drives. So I won't Mm. go so deep into the IST stuff, but I will give a a very brief overview if someone listening isn't familiar or forgets. But if you're setting up something like a Buffalo Link Station, you're really supposed to have all matching hard drives, all the same size, and ideally the same brand and model as well. And for that, and on RAID... Makes zero difference. You need the only requirement is that your parity drive, should you have one, which you, you probably should if uh, you're, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a, an array that's very important <coughs> to you of backups, that's going to be the biggest drive or equal to the biggest drive, and that's all that matters. You're then only limited by the amount of SATA ports on your computer. And everything comes together, looking like one drive or multiple, however you partition it. But it works just like mm. a software RAID array, but nothing has to match. And on top of that, if something should happen, if lightning strikes and kills your motherboard, but the drives are still there, you could put those drives in any Linux machine that could read the BT, BTFS? Um, no, um,
0: B- BTRFS
1: or ButterFS? BTRFS um, file system, and get your data back. Correct.
0: Or or XFS. Most people on the array, we use XFS on the array and ButterFS on the
1: cache. Mm. So that is a huge thing for me because I actually had a Buffalo NAS that's a home version of it, uh, I think back in 2011 or something like that. And because it was a home version and it wasn't like in an office environment, when the NAS died, I lost everything that was on it. Now, luckily, it was a backup. So I basically just had to you know, I was only nervous for the few days it took to re up the files, but I think that's mm-hmm. something a lot of people miss, and a lot of my fellow nerds seem to skip over, especially if they do IT for a living, because they just go, oh, just get a rate array, it's so much easier. Yeah, that's great if you're in a corporate environment and you have a backup of a backup, but if that is your only backup and you risk your data that way, I just... That makes me nervous, and I've almost lost critical data before. I had to, I did lose it. I had to recover it and stuff like that. So just the fact that any drive could be thrown in, and you could get the data back afterwards—that for me, for home use, makes the most sense. Especially for people that might have stacks of older hard drives laying around. That you know, as long as you have a PC tower big enough. Um,
0: and another good thing, Bob, is like um, when you have a normal RAID array and you run out of space. Well, you're stuck. You have to get another RAID array. Um, You can't actually expand it. The lovely thing about Unraid is, you know, you've got, say, a 20-terabyte array. You become full. You just throw another hard drive in and expand it, and you don't lose any data, no downtime. You don't have to copy all of that data off that one RAID array, put it somewhere else, make a new RAID array with the disks, add another disk in. You don't have to do any of that. It's really flexible in the fact that you can just keep expanding as your data needs grow. And, you know, when you just have a few drives, you may have one parity drive. And as you start getting more and you think, well, maybe more than one drive might fail, you can add a second parity drive, you know, to keep your data protected in the case of a drive failure. Mm. So, you know, I think a lot of people overlook the fact that, you know, they'll buy a commercial RAID system and they're stuck with that size until they want, you know, more space and they have to kind of, you know, provision something else.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to get back into parody, but the the last overview, and by the way, this is not sponsored by Unraid, this is my personal opinion, so if I'm gushing over it and your channel, this is just my honest opinions, no one's paying me to say this, but the other reason that I really liked Unraid is I got it all set up, I had it set up with a, a smaller desktop PC tower, and I liked it, and I decided I wanted to keep it, and then I realized I was very quickly running out of space, So uh, the PC that I was using was actually built up, uh, originally built to record for like Pro Tools and stuff like that. So I traded it to a friend of mine who had a PC that was slightly different spec, but in a giant tower. And I was like, I watched a couple of your videos, I did some research, I I wanted to make sure, okay, let me transfer this array over to a new PC, you know, based on my previous nerd experience, I'm probably going to get sucked in for like a day's worth of work, and I literally unplugged the drives from the old machine, plugged them into the new one, booted, and then just had to re- uh, go through the drop down menus and restart the array, and that was it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a day's project, and moving all of my drives from one computer to a completely different computer took you know, as long as it took to just physically move the drives. So um, I think. I think that that stuff that we just mentioned is reason alone for people mm-hmm. who want home backups to use this if they if they're comfortable building PCs and repurposing stuff. But um, there's a few other things we'll we'll get into later, which I think is going to be very appealing to the retro gaming community as well. But I, I guess to get people started, and maybe we could take notes so I could make sure to have the videos of yours that match exactly what we're talking about in the description. Um, But so I guess I'll leave myself a little note here real quick, just so I could do it. But for people starting out, you need a USB stick that's bootable, uh, which is most of them, but I guess there are some cheap ones that have issues and you could do a free trial. But what are the basic steps And do you have a video that you would recommend today for people that wanted to just try this out and see?
0: Yep. um, Probably the video to watch is um, my Unraid 6.9 series where I guide people through basically setting up a basic server um, with 6.9, which is the latest stable release. Um, Setting up the USB stick, it's really simple. You just download a creator tool um, on Windows, Mac or Linux, plug your USB flash drive into the computer, it will make that bootable for you. You then plug that into your into what you want to use as the server. Make sure the motherboard's set to boot from the USB stick. It will boot up straight into the operating system. You'll see an IP address come up at the end of the process. Type that into your browser and you'll straight into the Unraid web UI um, and you'll see any hard disks that are connected. And then you can start creating your array, and you, you know, you're off straight away.
1: Yeah, and I do also want to add that if you feel like testing this out, but you don't have spare equipment just laying around, you could take your existing PC. I would recommend pulling the power from any drives that you have in there, just because if you mm. pull the power from that... You don't have to worry about accidentally writing to it. And you don't have to worry about putting the SATA cables back in the right order because with no power, it's not going to access it anyway. So you could just pull the power from your existing drives. You could add in a USB stick to boot from. And any (laughs) one hard drive of any size just to mess around and get started. Um, Exactly. Even, Even just
0: a USB hard drive. You know, If you don't want to put a SATA one in, plug a USB hard drive in, set it as your disk one, and, you know, you'll be able to test it and have a look around and, you know, have a look at the interface and see if you like it or not.
1: Yeah, awesome. So in that video that you put, the uh, the Unraid 6.9 series, um, I can't remember which ones I've watched, to be honest, because I've watched so many. But uh, is that the one that you, you show people how to get started, how to add the drive to the array, and then how to add the basic software, like Fix Common Problems?
0: Yeah, so basically I, I guide people through you know, setting up, adding the drives, um, and also how to transfer data from existing computers onto the Unraid array. So, you know, if you've got, you know, other hard drives from other computers, you know, they, they might be in the wrong file system, like you've got some Windows hard drives that are formatted in NTFS. You can just plug them in, and I guide you through, you know, fairly easy ways of transferring the data onto the array. Um, Very cool. So um th- to be honest, I made that video about a year ago, so I can't really quite remember everything in it, but
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, fair that's
0: definitely def- definitely the plan and making it is you know, basically guiding a user, you know. I-, I think there's about sort of um four or five videos in the six point nine series. Mm. Um, that takes you from the basics and each one, you know, going on from there.
1: Makes sense. Um so and, and once again for people listening we're We're going to get to the why this applies to retro gamer stuff pretty soon, but um so when you get this set up, if you wanted to leave it just as a basic array with you know one or two or however many hard drives you have, and then never touch it again, all you really need to do is set up your shares, and that's kind of it. It'll just sit on your yeah. network as a network attached storage and you don't need to do anything else. But there are a lot of things that you recommend in your videos that after messing with them, I wholeheartedly agree that I think if anybody needs to do just anything other than basic file storage, you know, a second backup type of thing, I would I would recommend doing as well. And the first one mm-hmm. is installing uh, an app that al- easily allows you to download other apps and plugins. So it's kind of like downloading an open source app store, I guess would be a somewhat decent analogy. right? Yeah.
0: So yeah, so basically, just downloading the um, community applications plugin um, in the latest version of Unraid, which is the RC version, which isn't stable yet. Um, you can just click a button and it will automatically download that app store. But in 6.9, the stable version, you do have to actually install the plugin manually. Um, you just go onto the Unraid forums and find the find a thread in to do with fixed common problems. You just copy and paste the line um the line of code for the address paste it in and then you've got community applications and like you say it's just like a, an app store you can browse various plugins and docker containers and it's just a one click install
1: mm. so at first uh, i was kind of wondering what that would entail cuz uh i'm not very fluid in linux uh, my my linux developer friends are all laughing at me now that i say that out loud but uh it really is as easy as copying and pasting a URL from you know Google, fix common problems, unraid. You'll see the forum post, copy and paste the URL, and that's it. It does it all for you. Yeah. So your guides walk you through it pretty you know step-by-step step to make it easy. But just to oversimplify, it getting this set up is really as easy as clicking on a few things and pasting a few web URLs in there and, and getting set up. Um, now, for people who know that this is going to be important for them not a second backup but their main backup. When do you suggest a parity drive should come into play and I guess for people that uh, that are not used to these terms maybe you could describe what uh, you know in your own words what a parity drive is
0: okay so how how parity works is your parity drive protects the data drives that you have in your array so should one of those data drives fail, you can actually rebuild the data that was on that failed disk by popping in another hard drive and it will rebuild the it will rebuild the lost data that was on that drive. Now a lot of people kind of wonder, you know, how that works because you know, say you've got four data drives and one parity drive, how does that one parity drive know what was on those four any one of those four drives? Right, oh, and actually, especially
1: if you have something like 118 terabyte parity drive and then four 18 terabyte regular drives that's part of your array, how can that back up four drives that are each the same size?
0: Exactly. So, you know, as, as we know, you know, um, hard drives have what's called sectors on the hard drive. And on that sector, there's either going to be a one or a zero, nothing else. So how the parity drive works is it's called the XOR algorithm. And what happens is, you know, if you imagine just one, the first sector of the disk, for instance there's either gonna be a one or a zero on either of those disks. So those are added up, and the answer is either gonna be odd or even. So let's say we've got three disks. The first two have a one on, and the last one has a zero. So that is an even answer on the parity drive. So adding those up comes the two, so the parity drive just writes even. So if one of those three drives fails, say the one with the zero on, so we take that drive out, So the parity only knows the answer. So what it has to do is it queries the other two drives that are there. And so one plus one is two. So it knows that the answer is even. So that last disk that had failed, that must be a zero there. So it knows that that's a zero on there. And that works for every single sector across. And that's how it rebuilds the parity and rebuilds your data. So it doesn't actually have a copy of your data, but it has the answer to an algorithm that that enables you to actually be able to recover your data from that. Yeah, I hope that makes sense.
1: <laughs> it does. And it does sound a little bit like magic, to be honest with you. But uh, I mm. mean, anybody in ITs has done a, a RAID rebuild, whether it's through software un, uh, like Unraid or a hardware system. So it does absolutely work. This isn't new technology. It's been around for mm-hmm. a very, very long time. And it always did kind of seem like magic to me, but uh, it definitely does work. Now, the one thing that I'm actually still not sure about myself, is I have uh, one 18 terabyte drive as my parity, and then 18, 16, 12, and 10 as my uh, as my regular drives, because I was able to collect those over the years, because every time my desktop drive got filled, I would buy the next bigger one in line and keep the other one as the backup, which is why I've stepped up like that. So at what point or if any point, would I want to add a second parity drive? Is it just to back up the first parity drive or is there a size limitation for it?
0: Well, what two parity drives allow you to do is to have two drives fail in the array at once. So say you've got you know five hard drives in your array, one of them fails and you've only got one parity drive and then you start making a rebuild. Rebuilding, rebuilding a disk is quite strenuous on the hard drives. So if you imagine you know you've bought You know, you set up your Unraid server, you buy kind of five drives, and then four years later, one of the drives fails. Well, the chances are you might have bought all of those four drives or five drives at the same time. So they're all four years old. So when you're rebuilding the array and the strain is on the hard drives, you know, you have got a chance because they're the same age that you might get another failure during the rebuild. So if you get another failure during the rebuild, the rebuild can't complete. But the wonderful thing about Unraid is if that does happen you only lose the you only lose the data on the drives that fail the other drives that are still okay you still got the data there unlike a traditional array sorry un- unlike an unlike a
1: a hardware a tradi- raid array yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah unlike a hardware or traditional kind of raid 5 you know you know if you lose you know if you lose a disk and you can't recover from it you lose all of your data on the
1: array right which is so appealing for at home use uh, so that's pretty interesting, and you know another common scenario that I've absolutely run into before. Oh, sorry. sorry
0: like your your question asking, you know, when should you add another mm-hmm. one? You know, um, if you can afford it, right at the beginning. Um, but I say, you know, um, you know, if you go over five data drives, get get two parity drives. Um, the more hard drives you have in your system, the more chance you've got of um more than one drive failing, and then you're not able to recover from it. So you know, if you can afford it. At the beginning, buy two. If you can't, once you get over five drives, maybe kind of think about adding a second parity.
1: That that makes sense. And, And a very very common scenario that I've run into my whole life, being a kid that figured out how to fix all their family members' computers, up to up to the adult that I am now that still has to fix all their family members' computers. It's so common for something like there's a rainstorm and lightning strikes and. You know somebody's router and cable modem die at the same time, and then one of their hard drives mm. dies, and then another hard drive dies soon after, because as you're doing the rebuild, or as you're just you know running that drive, it probably whatever lightning strike or power surge happened, probably should have killed both drives at the same time, but one was mm. barely holding on for life. So your same exact scenario of the rebuild process, potentially killing it, would yeah. do it. Now, for people that use UnRAID as their backup. That would be the only thing where maybe you wouldn't need a second then. I mean, technically you don't need a first, but that's a convenience that if you could afford an extra drive, I would strongly recommend because having one of your backup drives die and you throw another one in, come back a day later, and it's already rebuilt itself, that's yeah. what, way more what, what
0: convenient. I've got to say, what I've got to say, Bob, is um, you know, what you know, many people kind of watching may be thinking is you know, RAID or unRAID isn't actually a backup um, you know, imagine like you're kind of, you know, your array with parity. It's like a truck when they have the kind of dual tires on the back. If one tire blows, the truck will still carry on along. But, you know, it isn't actually a backup because, you know, um, if you deleted a whole load of your data, you know, if you just, you know, deleted a whole data off a drive, you don't have a backup. You know, it is only, um, you know, disaster recovery from a f- failure of hard drive. It isn't actually a backup of your data. So, you know in in the sense where if something fails you can get the data back it is but you know should you know you have a virus that goes right the way through right the way through your network and destroys your files or you know you just accidentally delete a bunch of files by mistake um it isn't a backup to better get them back so you know people need to you know think about you know if they've you know if they've got data um that's very important. Make sure you have it in more than one place.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for steering me back on track on that because I was going to go down the wrong road without explaining it right. Everything you just said is right, and thank you for saying it. Um, I met in the situation of like uh, like my current setup where I have a desktop with all of my data on it, and I the Unraid server is my backup server.
0: Ah, oh, I see. So oh. in
1: that scenario, it is the backup, but if you're running this right. as your main file storage... You're right, a hundred percent. Not only should you be backing that up, you should probably be doing it with offline drives if possible. Um, or, or do what I've been doing a lot with friends, and that if you have uh, a lot of shared data, like ROMs or favorite movies that, and stuff like that, uh, we've we've sh- you know we've each gotten an extra drive or two and saved it on each other's. <laughs> so that way, you know, yeah. we're not only do we get to, to share content, but we also are each other's backup, which kind of saves money and, and makes more sense to me at least, um, I could be a little stingy at times. So to spend a lot of money on some drives that sit in a closet in my same house. So if the house burns down, if it gets robbed, I still lose all the data. I'd rather spend that extra money sharing my stuff with somebody else and have an offsite backup and and all of that other stuff. But that's kind of, yeah, that's a
0: great idea. I think, yeah. Yeah. Being able to have a hard drive, you know, with a buddy and, you know, both of you be able to, you know, swap data and have it offsite. That's a great idea. I think.
1: Thanks. Yeah, that's a uh, that's you know just old school dirting, I guess. Um, but once you've gotten everything set up, and once you've decided that okay, everything's cool, everything's running, I want to see what else this thing could do. That's when you go down a rabbit hole. That's very time consuming, but could be very rewarding and uh, and efficient for your workflow if. Uh, If you need extra stuff like this for me personally, one of the things that just saved a ton of time and annoyance is installing make MKV because my workflow, every time I get a new disc, so an ultra HD, Blu-ray, whatever else I buy the disc, I put it in my computer, I rip it. And then I have to copy it from my computer to the network storage. And now I could have a or I do have a drive right in my Unraid server that I use make MKV's Unraid plugin to rip directly to the RAID array to save that extra step of copying it over the network. And I know that sounds weird by the way, but I have a, a ton of friends that do the same thing in that we don't ever mm-hmm. actually watch our disks. They go on our shelf, they're displayed nicely, but they're all accessed through the network for ease of use and backup and all that other stuff. Yeah. So um, that all of that stuff could be found through the app store. Uh, There's so many cool things about it, but from a retro gaming point of view, there's also things like virtual machines, so you could have one running on the server, and maybe you want to do your ripping of your games that way, Uh, you could use, you know, if you have legacy software, you could be running a Windows XP virtual machine. And that's something that can get a little bit confusing. So do you want to give maybe yeah. a basic overview of what VMs are and and how you've have uh, you you've been teaching people to use them in on-raid?
0: Sure. So, you know, VMs obviously it stands for virtual machine and allows you to virtualize pretty much any operating system at all. Um but you can all but what you can also do is is pass through individual hardware as well. So, you know, when you kind of run something like kind of um, VMware Workstation on a Windows desktop, you know, um, you haven't got the kind of three D acceleration that would allow you to kind of play modern games. Hmm. But you know, with with VMs and Unraid and in Linux in general, KVM and QM, you, you can actually pass through individual hardware on the computer, so the VM has exclusive access to the graphics card, and Sorry. Um, no, no, it's cool because
1: this stuff is confusing, and w- the way you lay out your videos, y- you make it easy to understand, and you do it step by step. And I'm firing off these questions at you with, you know, with out of context. So, you know, I-, I apologize for that. So, but...
0: so reg- regarding retro gaming, now is. You know, you can, you know, what? what's quite fun in a project I've been doing, well, I've been doing it for years, to be honest. I, I made some videos, um, oh, it must be kind of three or four years ago, where, where I installed Windows 98 and Windows 95. But I passed through hardware from the 1990s to that VM, um, and I'll show you something now um, that I've got here ready to show you. Um, I'm not sure if you can see that there. yeah. Um basically it's a hardware it's a hard drive enclosure I made and inside here is a Sound Blaster Um sound card and also a Cirrus Logic graphics card. But this week I've actually ordered myself a Voodoo 3 2000, um sixteen megabyte graphics card. Um hopefully, you know, that was a good graphics card back in the nineteen nineties. I really can't remember. Um so inside of here is basically I'm not sure if you can you probably can't really see but there's a PCI slot there for old PCI so mm-hmm. I put the graphics card and a sound card into there and then this connects into a PCIe slot on my Unraid server. So for my Windows 95 and my Windows 98 VMs I pass through that old retro hardware so the VM has a real sound blaster, and when I get my Voodoo card, it will have a real Voodoo 3 graphics card. So it's quite nice that you can have a modern a modern computer be able to kind of use old-fashioned hard drive and kind of have a hybrid system um, enabling you to play retro games on the kind of original hard drive, uh, sorry, on the original hardware from the day. And you can just emulate... Um, with a virtual machine you can emulate old cpus so you can emulate like a pentium 2 pentium 1 so you can emulate the cpu of the day and string it along with some hardware from the day and yeah i think that's quite a fun thing to do um, that a lot of people don't think about with vms you know they think about passing through an rtx 3090 mm-hmm. and you know that's the be all and end all but you know, you know, you can pass through kind of any hardware and even the old-fashioned hardware, so long as it's in an adapter like a PCIe to PCIe adapter, you can you can pass through hardware like that as well.
1: So that's absolutely awesome. And I could immediately envision two use case scenarios for that. First, you're sitting at your modern flat panel with your keyboard and mouse and you just open up the VM and you could use an old computer on your modern modern computer and have it be mm-hmm. very accurate. But I could also envision somebody taking like a Raspberry Pi running Linux with, uh, you know, outputting 15 kilohertz video or, or 31, depending on what system you're trying to emulate there, and and using a VM through that onto a VGA CRT monitor an RGB monitor, depending how old you go, and you're running this over the network. But as long as it's a, a wired network connection or a very good wireless, and you're not in the city with all that interference, you could essentially have this running for very cheap, and it is. A very true to the original experience of this original equipment mm. now that hardware yeah. box that you built, what exactly is in there so is that a PCI um, to PCI express adapter going to a Thunderbolt so, port?
0: No, so it's just a PCI um, it's a PCIe to PCI, PCI adapter, I, I bought it off AliExpress, I think it cost me about $25 hmm. and um, you just have like a little kind of P, PCIe card that plugs into the server and then there's a a USB cable that comes from that and just joins into that and and um
1: That's pretty cool. It,
0: it it's very, very simple really. Um and and then you pass through the adapter through to the VM and um it it you know Unraid can see both both devices that are plugged in. Um sadly you can only do it with PC PCI devices. AGP you can't do it with I've never found an AGP to a PCIe adapter. Hmm. so um you know um that that's the kind of one limitation for retro stuff is you know it's um pci devices only you know still still quite fun to do
1: yeah that's Um, a pretty awesome thing for retro computers now what's the latency like in a vm over the the you know over a a, in ethernet connection in your lan not in a wan scenario so um it's not that much at all right
0: no, so so you mean like viewing viewing a VM over the network on another computer? Yes.
1: Yeah. So, like the latency for gaming, like if you wanted to play Quake the way you would in the nineties, are you going yeah. to feel some lag? You see, like you, you, see would... you
0: know, you know, you know, with the adapter box, you know, um, there's no latency at all because you plug, you know, the VGA straight into a monitor. You know, the output of the graphics card goes into your monitor, so you know it's just like having an old retro retro pc like that. So. Oh, uh,
1: so you're you're running them both ways. You're running full VM on another computer, but you're also taking the video output of that old yeah. school voodoo so, graphics card and going directly So yeah, into so, the CRT. so here
0: here's here's the um on on the old school graphics card. Here's the VGA out, here's the sound out. i plug the sound into some speakers, plug plug the VGA into a VGA monitor and, you know, the graphics card, you know, it's not viewed through any other computer. It is just you know, working like that. So, you know, if your monitor can take a VGA or you've got a VGA to HDMI, you can use it on any monitor, but you are using the original graphics card from the 90s in order to play your games. That's so even So you can poor. play, you know, Doom <laughs> on a Voodoo 3, um, kind of natively, but on modern hardware, emulating the old hardware.
1: That That is very yeah. cool. So you're using <laughs> the original video card and the original audio card, and yeah. the only thing that you're really emulating is the CPU and bus. But with these modern PCs, yeah. there's probably zero latency yeah. to to emulate the older CPUs. No. So
0: yeah. So it's no 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 problem old uh, no problem emulating the older CPUs, and um, you just you're just emulating the motherboard and the CPU, and then all the kind of peripheral cards you can use. You know the original cards from the day. So it saves you having to have like um, you know, an old tower from the 1990s. But you know, I'm sure it's much nicer to have the real thing. But you know um sometimes it's quite hard to you know get hold of the older hardware um but you know if you can just get hold of an old graphics card and a sound card you can you know build up something you know that's very small like that little box you sh- you saw you know you don't have to you know it's it's more kind of wife and girlfriend friendly than having <laughs> um than having like a big beige box <laughs>
1: That's pretty funny it's true though, in that um it's way easier to find single components like that than try to build mm. yourself full machines. I know a lot of friends that have done it, and each time they always run into an issue with at least one of the major components, and obviously that you know that puts the whole thing on hold, whereas this you know as long as your sound card and your video card work, you're good to go, so that's a mm-hmm. very cool idea yeah. um i'll make definitely make sure to leave a link to that video in there. I'll leave a uh another note for myself here. Um, so.
0: um, Sadly, the Windows 95 video, I never made it in the end. Is so <laughs> oh. I, I, I made them both at the same time, the Windows 98 and 95. And I accidentally deleted the Windows 95 one before I uploaded it. Oh. And um, th- there wasn't a great deal of interest in the Windows 98 one, so I never remade it. But it's definitely something, you know, I am going to remake. And especially as I'm getting my lovely new voodoo voodoo 3 card i will definitely be making some retro gaming videos for setting up some retro game vms
1: so i i know the answer to this but i would like or at least i know my opinion to this but i would like your opinion in why would somebody go through the trouble of using original hardware like this as opposed to just creating a vm that emulates everything graphics card sound card and, and building like a windows 95 vm
0: um you could build a Windows 95 VM EM and emulate everything but the graphics card is going to be pretty bad you're not going to be able to kind of you know play games very well it you know the emulated hardware of like the graphics card is you know in Unraid you're going to um probably have to emulate a Sirius Logic graphics card um and you know they're just not the best but there's no there's no reason why you can't but um but the performance you know isn't isn't quite as good um and I, I guess you know um you know for retro gamers the experience isn't quite so pure it might be like um you know playing you know space invaders on an original arcade cabinet is always going to be nicer than playing space invaders on your xbox x in oh. like a kind of emulator so i guess it's a difference between like you know emulators and the real thing yeah, this is somewhere in between. So it's in between an emulator and in between the real thing. Not as good as the real thing, but not as not as
1: inaccurate as just fake fake full of the software. Emu- yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly my thoughts on it too. So I'm glad uh I'm glad you feel the same way because I think there's so many people, especially people that would be listening to this interview, to be honest, that that appreciate original hardware in any aspect of mm-hmm. things. And FPGA emulation is getting amazing and accurate and it's such a cool way to do things, but yeah. sometimes there are many use cases where the original might still be a better choice for you, or not. Mm. That's why we talk about these things. That way, people could choose what's what's best for them. Um, you know,
0: on 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 RAID and in Linux in general, you know, you're quite limited on the types of graphics cards you can emulate as well. Mm. Um, you know, um, what um, what was that you were talking about? The emulation in the the P website you said. Sorry. Mm. PG something. I- I've heard of it before. FPGA
1: um, emulation. Yeah, it's. Uh... Yeah, so
0: I- I've heard. You know, I've I've never expi- I've never kind of like you know looked at that myself, but I have heard it. You know, it's quite a- quite amazing. You know.
1: So this is the dumbest analogy, but it's also super accurate. In that, you know, when you're talking about software emulation, you're having a piece of software that's running in a you know, a software language on top of a hardware layer that it needs to talk to you, usually with an OS in between. So you could get super accuracy. You could get things that you would never get in the original that you might think are better, but it's not always exactly the same. And FPGAs are essentially like, imagine the Terminator from Terminator 2 that turns itself into other stuff. Such a dumb analogy, but also it's a really great way to visualize it. That FPGA chip if programmed properly, will turn itself into the chips on the original boards. So there are 486 cores now with, um, you know, there's tons of arcade and and console cores that are so accurate to the originals to the point where you could take the code from one of the chips and flash it onto a smaller FPGA with a, a different pinout adapter and replace original chips from original hardware with it. That's how accurate it is. So uh, mm. it's awesome, and it's something that's definitely going to be a big part of the future of this stuff. But it's not the only thing, and it can't cover every scenario at least yet. So that's why I love all of these right. different options we're talking about.
0: Well, yeah, it's definitely something I'll have to have a look at. You know, it sounds sounds really cool.
1: Yeah, I'll send you some uh, some info on the Mister stuff after this. I think you'll be uh, I think you'll Thank be you. pleased with what you see. Um, now another thing that that retro gamers would definitely want to do is host their ROMs on their a NAS in their own house. So rather mm-hmm. than have, you know, anytime you have the ability to access these things remotely, as opposed to on a micro USB card or micro SD card on on the device itself, people I think would generally prefer that because you have one location that you're dealing with all of this stuff adding and removing games is as easy as accessing a network share you never have to remove any of this stuff so uh, you and I briefly talked about some of the things like that that you've done Um, do you want to Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the work that you've done in Unraid to help host files for game consoles like PS3 and stuff like that
0: Yeah. um, well you you know you can set up very easily on Unraid um, a PS3 net server so you, you will need a modded PS3 for that to work, obviously, but um, you can inst- you can host all of your PS PS3 ROMs, and um, they- oh, sorry, they're not called ROMs, are they?
1: ISOs, <laughs> ROMs, P- PS3-,
0: PS3 PS3 disc images, and um, play them over the network straight to your um, straight to your console. Um, you know, you-, you just go go through the list and you see see the box art of the, of the game and-, and play it. But also you can stream PS1 games straight through to your PS3 as well. Mm. Um, PS2 kind of work, but they don't stream over the network. They will copy over the network to the hard, the internal hard drive on the PS3 and then play that way. So really it's mainly PS1 and PS3 will stream over the network. Um, I haven't as yet made a video to set that up, but there's something that I'm planning um, to be making in January. Um, but it, you know, if you've got a PS, a PS3, um, and you've modded it, um, definitely worth setting up. I think, um, that's very you know, cool. Cause you, you can obviously store a lot more, a lot more um disc images, um, obviously that you've attained legally. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, on a NAS than any hard drive, you're probably going to be able to fit inside a PS3. Um,
1: yeah. And I've always, you know, I, I I lived in New York City for a long time, so I I had space issues, obviously, so I didn't have a setup where I could just leave everything plugged in. So for me to access Mm. my PS3, it was always a pain. You know, you unpack it, take the hard drive out or set it up to the network, copy something over. So if I just had the ability to plug that into the network when I was using it and using the GUI on the PS3 access a different game, that would have been infinitely easier for testing and a lot of the work that i do especially when i was doing stuff like testing what a ps1 game was like on original hardware on a ps2 on a ps3 in emulation like that took yeah. forever <laughs> and i would have loved to have had a network uh, a networked ability to do that
0: yeah it's just super convenient you know um you know just to be able to play whatever game you like you know you just get your ps3 out plug it into plug it into the into the tv you know, connect it to the Wi-Fi, and you've got you know all of your games in a server, you know, that may be running in the cupboard under the stairs, you know. So, mm. you
1: know. so uh, there's going to be a lot more info about uh, a network ROM sharing. You know, hosting project that, uh, that I'm a part of. I'm probably trying to drag you into as well. <laughs> if you talk to anybody else that I've interviewed, they usually say I follow up and bother them with things afterwards. And, uh, so, you know, everybody stay tuned for that. You know, check out, make sure to subscribe to your channel, check out Retro RGB. I'll be making a big deal about it because I love stuff like this. You know, there's, Uh, a new mod for the Sega Saturn that you could install that very soon, if not by the time this airs, will have the ability to stream your Saturn ISO images from a network share to it, which is huge because now you could save a lot of money. And I think there's, I think there's going to be a lot more like that coming up in the future. And you could even set that up Mm. with Mr. That's very easy to do. Uh, And of course, software emulation, obviously, but um, that's something that that's, that we'll swing back around to at some point in the future, I guess. Mm. Uh, But there is another thing that I definitely wanted to ask you about that. I honestly don't know if I'm just going to be selfishly bugging you to to help a project for my own or if other people will be interested in this, but I, I really do think other people would be interested in using VMs to have your Unraid server be a multi-purpose device. I have always unreasonably wanted devices to be able to do more than one thing stubbornly Mm -hmm. like I, I have wasted so much time in my life trying to get like a media center that does everything rather than just you know back in the day having a cable box and a you know a media pc and I'm trying to do the same thing with my unraid server because I don't want one box running 24 7 that's only used for backup I would like to utilize it for other things and I think anybody that's built a new pc or of course wants to switch to a laptop that's into retro gaming has run into capture issues because modern capture cards can't do a lot of the same things that the internal ones could have done. Uh, audio issues and, and other peripherals. So I think something that myself and many other people in the retro gaming world would have wanted to do is take you know a PC with a whole bunch of hard drive spots, uh, fill them up with drives, make that your server but also have it so that you could connect it to, maybe you have a setup with a bunch of retro consoles going through a scaler and you want to stream that way. Rather than try to do all of that with, you know, a modern equipment and a USB drive, you could have it all pre-connected in. And then you could do something like grab your cheap laptop, fire up a virtual machine, and you could be using that PC that you've repurposed to your server to stream your games, to do capture, um, but that's been a little trickier than I had thought because of passing through mm. hardware compatibility. So, do you think that's even a feasible idea, or am I basically just chasing the dragon here?
0: No, most definitely. You know, um, if you can, like, you know, just you know, plug in a PCIe device, all it has to be is in what in what's called its own IOMMU group. So, it ha- it, it, it has to be kind of like isolated without any other hardware in that group. When you pass pass it through, it passes through that hardware in, in the group through so so you know if you can plug it in into a pcie slot the chances are you're going to be able to pass it through um there's various kind of you know if things aren't grouped you know how they should be you know if they're not in their own separate io group you can use like the um you, you know you can use a patch in order to kind of separate things out so you know you can often you, you know you, you most definitely you are going to do exactly what you want to do you know any kind of like um, PCIe capture cards that you want to plug in, you can pass them through to a VM. Um, you know, to, to be honest, like, um, I probably haven't really used a normal computer at home since probably 2015. Um, like the computer behind me here, this is a VM running, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's running Mac OS on Unraid, um, you know, passing through a graphics card to that. Um you know any other any other PCIe devices I put in, I, I could pass it through as well. You know, as long as you've got got enough space in the case to put them, you know, you, you can pretty much pass through anything. So
1: that's you know, very 100% cool. definitely. Uh, I'm happy to hear that because I, I I genuinely think a lot of people would want to do something like this. I mean, if you're in mm. fact even if you're a heavy content creator, I could completely imagine myself having a decent PC that has all of my capture cards and my editing software on it and using Unraid, because I can't tell you how many times I've been rendering on one machine, so I got to take out, you know, a laptop to do something else, but then I don't have the peripheral that plugs into the USB or Thunderbolt port, so I, you know, do I transfer files, and it sounds like nonsense, but I, I know there's a bunch of people listening that are shaking their heads right now, going, it happens to me once a week, so having a full other Usable platform that's multi purpose so you're not just having two pcs mm. on your desktop you have one that does a lot of other stuff for you I think would be a, a pretty big help for people but there are exactly. a few requirements for that right your motherboard needs to support virtualization at the very least
0: correct? yeah so 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 yeah your um you know your CPU and your motherboard you know need to support virtualization which pretty much you know all modern CPUs and motherboards do um um so, you know, your your motherboard must, if it's Intel, support um VTD um and VTX um and um the equivalent in AMD. Um I can't remember what the AMD call their virtualization now, but um and um IOMMU, it's called in AMD for the um for being able to isolate hardware and pass it through. But you know, one of the great things about using VMs is um basically you know you can have a computer that's dedicated you know a vm that's just dedicated to one task as well so you know if you if you wanted to have one that was just kind of like for kind of recording streaming and stuff you know you can have a vm that's just dedicated for that and once you've got it working you can make a copy of the virtual hard disk it runs on and then store that somewhere else so in a few weeks time if you kind of been messing around with it and it kind of breaks and you install something and it doesn't work well, you just swap the virtual hard hard disk over, which is just a file. So you'd like replace the one there with the older file and you're back to exactly where you were. Um and, you know, you can you know, you can just have you know, as well, you know, with with kind of retro gaming, like um, you know, I've got a few different virtual machines I use for retro gaming. Um I have a, a Windows one which I just run Launchbox on and I don't have you know, it doesn't do anything else other than that. Yeah, I could put it on, you know, my normal Windows Windows virtual machine where I kind of have other things as well. But I just like to keep it separate. So, you know, if I want to do my retro gaming, I can just fire that up. And it's a dedicated Windows system for that. But it's all in one box. Um and also, you know, I run like Lacquer um mm-hmm. as well, which is like um, you know, I'm I'm sure you know about that, you know, a, a oh, distribution yeah, very cool, for, front end. Yeah. For you know, running um, running games. So you know, it's just really, it's really versatile. You know, to be able to, you know, um, to be able to have you know one box that can kind of run multiple different systems. So um, you're not yeah. just stuck with one thing. And there's so and much more that goes into what up. you
1: just said, though. Like the point that you just made is, is so important because, you know, I've been doing IT since birth pretty much. Right. So I back up my drives when I get them working right. So that way, whenever I'm at a point where something isn't working, I could restore from that image backup. But <clears throat> there, that is infinitely different than firing up your VM and going, hmm, something isn't working right all right, rename it to, you know, test, copy the other one from the array. Because I have, uh, in my setup, I have Mm. um, everything stored on the array except the VMs. That's just on each virtual hard drive is on an SSD. And since they're only launched one at a time, that's not a big deal. But if that VM doesn't work anymore... Just, you know, closing it and copying it back from the array to the SSD back when it was in a working state is like three minutes worth of work as opposed to take apart the PC, put it in your back, like, you know, restore it from there. And also your point of dedicated images. I think everybody that hangs out on the R3 Discord is probably rolling their eyes right now because they've heard me jump in and say, my my captures were working perfect last week and now something happened. And so to be able to have a dedicated, because I have a dedicated PC right here that I only fire up a couple times a year when there's a problem. And it's the same thing. You unplug wires, pull a new monitor over, you know, hook up a new power setup and, to have a dedicated image that's just for capture, a dedicated Mm. image that's just for audio recording when you're doing more serious stuff. I mean, that's one of the the biggest things too when I'm doing a multi-purpose computer is that, especially when I used to use Pro Tools, I would have to make sure that Pro Tools was installed and working, all of its plugins, the stupid USB stick, the iLock, then also Premiere, and then also my work stuff when I would do IT things. So to get... Basically, three different full-use computers working on one was so much harder, and if I had the ability to run VMs, I would just fire up a VM for for every major task and then have one... General purpose one that's you know that's mm. just for for web surfing and stuff like that or not even use a VM just use whatever I'm using to connect so I'm glad you you brought that point up because while yes IT people can do all of this stuff when in big PCs you could even have multiple drives in the same PC so when you boot it mm. you just go into the BIOS and select which one you want to boot from this is infinitely easier <laughs> in, in every way. Yeah. So yeah, all, all excellent points. Uh, and
0: you lose, very, you lose very little performance. A lot of people think, you know, when you know, you're know you running a virtual machine, you're passing through maybe a graphics card and other things, you know, well, it's not going to be as good performance as if you're running it bare metal. But, you know, I, I think, you know, you just don't really notice the difference. I'd say, you know, you definitely get kind of like 97, 98 percent of the performance that you would get if you were running it bare metal. Mm. So, um,
1: so I guess um... a few more things for people that want to get started with this. So a very, very common scenario is to be able to go on eBay or even better locally to these it surplus stores that take computers that 10 plus years ago, maybe they were three or $4,000 computers that you could get for 200 bucks nowadays. I have two of those sitting here at least. Um, if they do not support vtd if they're intel or the amd virtualization that i'm also forgetting there's nothing you could do about passing it through you could still use it as an unraid no. server but you can't pass you can, you can still
0: through. use it as an unraid server and if the um if the cpu supports virtualization you can run basic virtual machines but without without um vtd you're not going to be able to pass through hardware um but you know um you know i i've got an old um um, Gen eight, HP from, yeah, you know, I think twenty twelve, and that that supports pass through. So, you know, what's that? You know, it's twenty twenty two soon, isn't it? So that's almost ten years old. So you know, you know, it has been supported for many years. So you know, you will probably find, you know, even the older enterprise stuff will will support that as well.
1: I found that a lot of the stuff around twenty eleven, twenty twelve, and up, um, a lot of them have BIOS updates that allow you to add that feature in. And right. some of them don't. So the, of course the one, mm-hmm. the, the unraid machine I'm running as we speak doesn't have that, but a couple of the other PCs I've been messing with do. So that's been yeah. kind of a cool thing. Um, so once that's in, I, I think you'd probably agree that you would want a different drive to run your virtual machine off of. You wouldn't want to run it off yeah. of the raid array. You would want to run it off of an SSD no. or an MV- NVMe if possible, right?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's much better to run your um, VMs off um, off disk images off you know the fastest storage you've got. So um, the array with um you know spinning rust is going to be a lot slower than an SSD or an NVMe. So um, yeah, just just the same as it would be if it was a real computer. You know, you, it's going to be faster on an NVMe than it would be on just a three point five inch hard drive. So you know, most most definitely. And also you want to be thinking about, you know, how much IO is actually going to that drive as well for other tasks that might be on the server. So a lot of people like to run, you know, kind of like, you know, Plex servers, NB servers, you know, for, you know, streaming, you know, video around their house. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have, you know, if if you're running kind of VMs and, you know, you want good performance out of it, if you have a separate disk to be able to, a separate disk to be able to kind of run the VMs from that, you know, nothing else uses then you're going to get better performance on the io you know by doing it that way
1: now is there a a big performance hit from say say you buy an ssd that's dedicated just for your vms is there a performance hit from dropping a vm image on that and running it versus uh, using that entire hard drive passed through as a full drive Mm -hmm.
0: Um, p- passing through, you will get better performance. Um, um, but it, but it's, it's one of those things like, you know, you can get better performance on a benchmark play, you know, playing a game and, um, you know, you might, you know, when you kind of run a benchmark with something, you can get like X amount of frames per second with one, one graphics card and another, but in real life you don't kind of notice it. So... I would say again yeah, yeah passing passing through a whole dedicated drive, you will get slightly better performance, but you're throwing away a lot of benefits by doing that, so
1: everything you know, we um, just discussed about you know uh, about the different uh, v m s for a different purpose that that goes out the window exactly, you're using but, yeah the, the drive. Well,
0: also what you know a lot of people don't you know think about as well is um with a v disk as well, what you can do is you can um you can over-provision your, your V disk. So say you've got like a one terabyte hard drive um, as an NVMe and you think, well, in the future, you know, I might, I might have like a two terabyte hard drive or a four terabyte NVMe and you want to, you want to make a VM. So you can use something called a QCOW2 V disk. And what this allows you to do is you set the size of the V disk and you can set it to any size you want but it will only take up the space of the amount of space that's been used inside of that virtual disk. Mm. So on a one terabyte disk, I could set, I could put a two terabyte QCAL2 disk. And so then what I can do, you see, is um, I can have that on the server. And as it starts to grow, I can think, okay, it's almost got to one terabyte now. And so then I get a two terabyte drive and I, copy that onto the two terabyte and then it can continue expanding on the two terabyte drive. So as far as windows Linux or Mac OS is concerned, it thinks it's got a two terabyte drive in there in the operating system, but it isn't. It's, it's a virtual disc that can expand But you know, um, the, again, the performance is slightly, slightly worse on a QCAL two disc than what's called a raw V disc, which takes up the amount of space that the raw V disc does. But again, you know, you, you don't really notice it. You know, I I always say to people like um, you know, like um, it's a bit like watching a movie in 4K. You know, um, you know, um, you, you can watch a movie in 4K, and yeah, when you kind of when you go into the store and you see all these kind of, you know, special videos that make it look great, it looks great. But you know, um, when you get home and you and you're kind of watching a movie, I'd rather watch like a good movie on a on, on a 1080p than watch a crap movie in 4K. <laughs> you know, when, when, you're, when you're actually kind of using it in your real life, you don't notice it, you know? And I kind of think that's like... Yeah, yeah so you, um,
1: I just ran into the exact scenario you described the other day when I was messing around with VMs in that I I have a just a very small 128 gig SSD that I've been using for testing. And I put mm-hmm. like two different Linux images and a Windows image... And I just put them all as 20 gigabyte drives just so I could mess around. And mm. I immediately filled up the Windows one. So, I, sh- if I yeah. had used the expanding drive, I could have just set them all to, yeah. you know... 80 gigs, let's say, but they exactly. only would have taken up whatever storage they actually needed on there. Yeah. So, and, and all you would really need to do is pay attention to it, which is super easy on RAID. Just mm. click on, uh, on the main tab and you could see how fill that disc is actually becoming. So yeah,
0: that, that exactly. is a pretty
1: cool thing. And that's something you should definitely do for, uh, for when performance isn't the priority, you know, mm.
0: Yeah, but yeah, all all my VMs, even my gaming VMs now, I I use Qcow2 for all of them. Um, but I'm not a hard I'm not a hardcore gamer, <laughs> you know. So anyone who's really into gaming, you know, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. But you know, for you know, casual gamers like me, you know, I don't notice any difference. In the performance. I mean
1: to be honest, if you're a hardcore gamer, you would want to do the opposite of what we're talking about and build your badass gaming PC and only use it for gaming. And when you want to do anything else, fire up your VM that's sitting on your Unraid server and use the VM on your gaming PC. So that way if mm. you're browsing and you get a you know, you have you know malware installed, it's all on the VM, even though you're technically using your gaming PC. So I think I think it still applies to hardcore gamers just in the opposite mm. of, of how we're discussing it.
0: Uh, a few years ago, I made a video um, which showed how to dual boot Unraid with a Windows machine. Mm. So you could have your Windows gaming machine and you could also have Unraid on the same machine. So you could boot bare metal into the Windows gaming machine so you get the full performance, you know, there's nothing else running. But then what you could do as well is you could, you could boot it into the Unraid operating system and then actually pass through the hard disk that you've installed your bare metal Windows on, and run that as a VM inside Unraid as well. So you've got, so you're basically running a virtualized version of the bare metal. And so, you know, when your Unraid servers running, you can access that same VM, all the same programs and everything. But if you want to make sure you get the, you know, most extreme performance, you can, you can just reboot it directly straight into your Windows gaming VM. And none of the unraid stuff there is there. But, that's um, very you know, that's cool. A, that's a bit more advanced, but you know, it's it's quite a cool thing to be able to do.
1: It's you know, that's yeah. a third scenario then. And that is the scenario for people that don't have the physical space for two towers. So that's perfect. Mm. Or or if you don't have access to an older one for the unraid server, yeah, that's that's absolutely awesome. Yeah. Now one thing that I've started testing, and I think I know the answer to, but I would I would love your opinion on is when I'm using these virtual machines, I I then take the Unraid array and I map the network drive as if it were a local drive. And at first that made me nervous because I'm thinking, is this virtual machine going to be taking the file, sending it to my router and back to the same computer? But it seems that when you're in a virtual machine on the same drive that is on, or on the same box, so in the same, you're running the VM off of your Unraid server, when you map that network drive, it is actually just passing it over the motherboard and not over the network.
0: Yeah, yeah. So no, it it won't it won't go down the network cable and back. So um,
1: because so I definitely know, I ran you know, some speed will... tests with that and, and it seemed like a pretty solid numbers that showed the difference. Uh, the Unraid array is kind of slow, so it was hard to see. Like on the right mm-hmm. side, it was the same going over the network as it was in the VM, but reading it was twice as fast. So yeah. Um, I just wanted to double check that. Cause that, that's something that I, I you know, do an IT. I just assumed that was the answer, but I wanted to both double check and reassure people that might not understand how a lot of that stuff works, that if you want to do it that way, you know, that, that is safe to do and that you're not just yeah. wasting bandwidth across your network for that. Um,
0: no, no, no. It won't, it won't hit your network at all unless you're accessing it from another machine across the network. If it's a VM, inside it would just access it locally
1: mm. and that's that's the same no matter what operating system you're running so even if you're running linux and unrate is a linux-based os you're still not going to see the drives show up as individual drives in your vm you would have to map it like the network share correct
0: yeah you have to map it as a network share yeah um they won't they won't show up you know a, v- a vm you know won't be aware of anything outside of itself you know so mm. it, you know it the VM won't know that there's other hard drives in, in the same computer. So you, you have to um basically give access to, you know, data on a share.
1: Now, somebody had mentioned something the other day that I never considered, but they had mentioned um, leaving a keyboard, mouse, and monitor connected to their Unraid server and then booting into the Unraid GUI. Because mine, you know, in most people's, You don't plug any of that stuff into it you have a power cable a Mm -hmm. network cable and then your pc that's just running but if you hook all this stuff up to it and you use the unraid gui and i think you have to run a linux command to get it to match the resolution of your monitor but you could run your vms directly through there so it's almost like so you're using a vm but you're using it on the machine itself is that kind of the same as what you were talking about with the pass through on the gaming pc or is that slightly different
0: no, um, you you'd be using like an you know if you booted it up and ran a VM, and you know it it shows in the browser, you know you're using an emulated graphics like an um, VNC graphics you'd be using for that. So um, so it's kind of similar, you know you, you know obviously you could do that on a you know on a machine, you know where you don't have um, VTD or IOMMU, so you can't pass through hardware. So you would be able to actually kind of run a VM. You know, on on the screen
1: itself. So oh, that's interesting. So, in the scenario of you don't have VTD or any of the virtualization, you would be able to to use to boot into Unraid, but still use it as a PC with a VM.
0: Yeah, um, I wouldn't think you know it's going to be the nicest experience ever, but, but yeah, um, it is possible.
1: Interesting. Okay. Um, And, you know, there's so many different apps and stuff that you could get for Unraid. So we're talking about virtualization and specific scenarios. But if you just need to get on and, uh, you know, access files right from the GUI, because all of this stuff is done from your web browser. And even if you run the Unraid GUI version and you're sitting there with the keyboard, mouse and monitor, you're still running through the same browser and the same interface that you would if you did it remotely. And there are yeah. tools like Crusader I use all the time. Um Unassigned devices, that's another great one that allows you to just plug in a drive. So one of the scenarios that I've run into is people, when they're migrating their data over, they'll get two drives, a parity and, you know, uh, another main drive for their array. And then they have all of these old hard drives that they want to add. So they'll add it mm-hmm. in, they'll plug it in with the SATA cable, and they'll use unassigned devices to, uh, to just access that drive in its standard NTFS or, or whatever uh, um, you know disk formatting is already on there. Then they use Crusader to move all of that stuff onto their array and then they just go into the interface when they're done, blow away that drive and add it to their array. And that's how they build up yep. their array of drives. And you could do this without virtual machines. You don't have to mess with any of the stuff that we've been talking about. No. Just on you know, two apps.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, virtual machines are, you know, totally, totally separate to um to you know storing files on your own RAID server. Um you just, like you say, use Use an app like Crusader, or you know, if people are familiar with the command line, you can just use command line and copy it. Um, you know, yeah, you know, that, that's a great thing. You can, like you say, have a stack of old hard drives that have already got data on. Obviously, you don't want to wipe them because you want the data. So you just add, you know, one one hard drive into into the server, and then each hard drive, you know, add it in, copy the data onto the onto the blank one. You know, then format that one in the file system for Unraid and then do the next and the next and the next and so on and until all of your data's on there.
1: Yeah, and this and might be all, a silly all of the tip. Are being used. Yeah, and this might be a silly tip, but something that I found that I thought I just really loved that I could do this was uh, I did exactly what we just described. So I'm waiting for data to copy over. I have my web browser with Crusader open. Once it starts copying. You could close your web browser and shut down your laptop, PC, mm-hmm. whatever you're using. You come back a day later, you open up that web window, and it's been running the whole time. You don't need to leave yeah. access open. It'll just, it'll be as if it was. It's the equivalent of you turning off your monitor, walking away, coming back, and turning the monitor back on. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a great way of looking at it. Like the Unraid web web GUI. Is almost like just a virtual monitor for Unraid. So, like you say, when you shut your your laptop down that you may be connected to um, to Unraid with, um, it is like just switching off the monitor. Hmm.
1: Well, I mean, I I have a, a much better grasp on this stuff now. I appreciate you taking the time to to talk with me. But how did you get into doing instructional videos? Is this do you do this stuff for a living? Oh, You're very good at it. Um,
0: <laughs> basically my daughter wanted to do youtube in about 2015 which i think when i started doing youtube um and she said oh she was too shy to do it so i said i'll tell you what if you do if you do a youtube channel i'll i'll do youtube so i i made a couple of videos and my daughter never made one <laughs> 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 she changed her mind i don't want to do youtube anymore it's boring <laughs> That's so, funny. Um, so yeah so i kind of fell into it by chance
1: yeah. that's pretty funny um do you have a, an it tech background or did you just figure all this i, stuff I out? do
0: yeah i i work in it um yes yeah, sadly i'm too old
1: to change now so <laughs>
0: i'm kind of stuck <laughs> with it but, but yeah um
1: and i assume what yeah, you I've, do is linux-based as well right
0: it is yeah yeah but you know I've, I've always had an interest in computers from when i was very young you know um my very first computer was an Atari 800XL. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, you're know, you a bit younger than me, so I'm not sure if you'd... <laughs> I'm, if I'm 40, um, so... I, uh, my first computer oh, was so a Tandy
1: 1000, and it, uh, that was my dad's, and I kept wanting to mess with it, so he got tired of me using his computer, so he got me a TRS-80 color computer too. But the paths yeah. of the PCs in the U.S., Way different from the PC path in the UK. So I'm discovering now, just in the past few years through friends, all of the amazing PCs that you all grew up with.
0: But you know, I'm going to show you you my pride and joy at the moment. I managed to get myself (laughs) an Atari 800 XL box on eBay the other day. Um, And um, another kind of little hobby that I've got is I like building um, modern hardware and old in old things. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to show you this. Um, I'm going to try. Basically that there is um, an Atari 800 XL where I stripped out everything inside of it and put an i5 processor (laughs) and that runs, that runs PF sense. So that runs the whole of my home network. Oh, Oh, cool. Above that there. Um, the um, PlayStation is actually a unify access point. Um so inside the rare, all of that was um all of that was kind of like stripped out and um I kind of you know found that the unify access point was about the same size as the disk of a PS one. So I thought, well, that will look a bit more cool than just having a unify access point on the wall. So um so my um, router is a Atari 800XL and the access point is a PS1.
1: <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. Uh, I love projects like that. Do you ever do videos on these or is that just a personal project that you like to do? Um,
0: it's just really a kind of personal project. Um, I made a video once where I got an old N64 cartridge and put a hard drive in it and made it as an external hard drive, you know, probably kind of three or four years ago um but it, it's not really something i make videos on but you know it's something i quite enjoy um yeah it's um was it pretty pretty fun making the pf sense in you know my favorite ever computer so <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that is absolutely awesome yeah that yeah, was awesome so, you,
0: know, you know i kind of enjoy enjoy that kind of thing um
1: yeah i love projects like that that's that's uh, a friend of mine built uh i mean I think it was 2006 or seven took an old VCR that was dead, stripped it out and made it into a, an HTPC. And when you pressed the eject button, it, the, you know, the whole front of the, you know, where the flap would normally go in would come out and that would be the DVD tray for it. And it was just awesome. it was really neat. I love, <laughs> I love silly projects like that, especially when you're repurposing yeah. old cases and old hardware and things. So, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, like, like, I, I made that Atari one, you know, probably, again, three or four years ago, and um, it was a fully working Atari, and um, then I was kind of very upset because my other working Atari broke.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, is that always yeah, what that happens?
0: I, I, should, I should have just bought one, um, you know, and, and you know, I found now in 2020, they're about kind of three times the price than they were about three years ago in, in the UK, so...
1: Yeah, 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 those things are going through It's a bit of a shock. (laughs) So um, from the time that this airs on, I'm going to be referencing Unraid and doing some posts on it retro gaming related. Uh, So I'm I'm very thankful that you took the time to come on and do this with me. I'm going to be using this as a reference every time I talk about it. Uh, So I would strongly recommend that people subscribe to your channel on YouTube. Uh, Are you on other social media platforms or is it mostly just going through YouTube?
0: It's mostly through YouTube. Um, I am on Twitter, um, but I don't post very often, to be honest. Mm. Uh, Understandable. So, you know, if pe- people want to reach out to me, it's main- mainly on YouTube.
1: So if you are a nerd or an aspiring nerd and you want to try to mess with your own backup system that could be more than a backup system, definitely check out and subscribe to your channel and start with just an old PC and one drive and one USB drive. And that's all you mm-hmm. need. We dug deep into nerdy stuff in this. You don't need to do any of that to get started and see if it's something that you might like. And definitely pay attention to both of our channels com- going forward because there's going to be quite a few retro gaming things that tied exactly into this and how you might need to use it or want to use it in your own setup. So. Um, thank you, Ed, very much for taking the time to do this. I'm, I'm positive we're going to be doing Ed, this again. <laughs> and, thank,
0: and thank you for inviting me onto your show. Thank you very much.
1: Absolutely. So uh, I will leave links to where everybody could find you, and uh, and thanks again.